0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: It's time to play like a jet.
1: With your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean?
2: I made it clear that my intention was to play, and my
3: intention was to play for the New York Jets.
1: Rogers going for it all. Looking to bring it open. Hey!
0: snaps it quick, scrambles to his right, pumps and runs, and Rodgers is inside the pylon. Allen has time, intercepted, Sauce Gardner's got it, breaking
2: away, Garrett Wilson, Wilson a big play downfield. Allen, tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall! He's done it again! Brees lightning! 62 yards for the touchdown! And he's sacked again by Quentin Williams!
1: What a beast! Number 95 for the Jets!
3: Listen. This is play like a jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at play like jet one. And this is the final edition of outside looking in where we take a look at the jets off season through the eyes of somebody who covers one of the other teams in the division. As you know, Karen Garigian from mass live came on to talk about the jets from the Patriots perspective. Al Tiaga from three yards per carry came on to talk about the jets from the dolphins perspective and now our friend Drew Gear from the Rockpile Report comes on to talk about the Bills' perspective, which to me is the most interesting because the Bills are the team that right now are on top of the AFC East, and so if the Jets are going to be able to win the division or at least give it a go, that's the team they've got to be gunning for. So, Drew, thanks so much for coming back on the show, sir. No, I appreciate you having me. We always
2: we always get together. Your listeners seem to not hate me yet, so that's always a good sign, right? Like They don't completely despise me. So, <laughs> and I, I mean, you know, me, I can be pretty insufferable sometimes. So with that in mind, I think our, I think our talks and our chats about football usually go pretty well. I'm a big fan of this.
3: It's funny you say that because I forget who it was, but I had one of your listeners refer to me as quote, the only Jets fan he likes. So I consider that a huge honor.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it, and I'll tell you what, it is fun getting to talk. We talk so much you know, as as a bills podcast. You talk so much about your own team That it does almost like in terms of just being a pure thought exercise, it does have value to look at every team. That's why our weekly AFC's roundup series that you're a huge part of every single week during the regular season is so much fun because it gives you if all you do is stare at your own football team and talk to your fellow fans about the team you all care about, you can it can almost become an echo chamber. It's nice to look outside that and take a look at what else is going on around the division to give you, if nothing else, some perspective about where your team actually sits and where you actually stack up. And you can learn a lot by looking at some of that stuff. Um, I think that the Jets had an incredible... You you guys probably had the most interesting offseason of any AFC's
3: team. Can we say that? Yeah, I think that goes without saying, Drew. And the funny thing is, everything you just said is exactly why... I'm doing these episodes right now because I think a big part of the problem with most fans of teams, and we all get sucked into this, is that you just look at what the team you root for did in the offseason and say, okay, they improved in A, B, and C, but you don't also look at the other teams and what they did as well. And we know that the Bills and the Dolphins and the Patriots – all have made moves. And so even though the Jets went out and made several moves, the big one, of course, being Aaron Rodgers, which we'll talk about in a second, to get the perspective of somebody who sees from outside, doesn't just see what the Jets did, also sees what the other teams did and can compare and contrast, that's important. And I think, like you said, it brings us out of our bubbles. No, 100%. And so with that,
2: we're going to sit down and talk about the offseason from the Jets from a Bills perspective. The Jets are probably the opponent. If I had to run this down in terms of the teams that I'm worried about, I kind of already know what I have in the New England Patriots, right? Like, in fact, uh, during a podcast this just this past week, uh, Ryan Lacell and I kind of joked about how, like, the media who's eating up this thing about how McDermott should be on the hot seat really aren't paying attention to what else is going on around the division, because when you every team has something to lose. With the Jets making this giant move to get Aaron Rodgers, they put themselves into a like a win now window, which unfortunately, like when you look around, what does everybody else have to lose? You, you, the the Miami Dolphins, their coach isn't bad, and he seems innovative. He brought in a sound defensive mind to kind of make up for what they were lacking on that side of the football, and they made some moves to, to shore up some injury depleted oh. positions. But realistically, they coach, like, he coaches for an owner who's incredibly impatient to the point where his staff felt the pressure from him to win so much that they meddled in other teams' affairs and cost themselves a first round pick. <laughs> and a couple people lost their jobs for tampering. That's how, like, people go, oh, that's just a couple employees going rogue. No, what that is is a couple employees who want to save their job and recognize that the pressure that this owner is putting on that organization to win while he's still the owner is immense. And those people cracked under the pressure of it and did some things they shouldn't have. Then you look at the New England Patriots and you say to yourself, a couple bad seasons. Maybe maybe they missed the playoffs again this year. Like, we all know that Bilichek wants that record. He wants to break down Shula's record. If he doesn't make the playoffs this year, it means he probably won less than 10 games. He's never going to hit that 30 mark then with the Patriots in order to get there. Robert Kraft has to question how long is he going to let this vanity project continue at the expense of his football team? Because he's also running out of time. And then you look at the Jets and you say, this is a team that... You guys made the window yourselves by trading for this quarterback where there are some things down the road with the cap and everything else that will become a little bit harder to swallow. It'll make it harder to put the team together that you have right now this year. And so it makes for a really interesting, like if I'm going to dissect your roster, if I'm going to look at philosophically what the Jets are doing, your team is the most interesting in the entire AFC East. Way more than what's going on in Buffalo, Miami. Uh, to, up there in new england um and i think it really does all start with your quarterback right
3: yeah and let's talk about that before we do i also want to interject what you're talking about with the coaches in the division and all that mike mcdaniel we really don't know exactly what he is yet everybody was touting him as this genius i'm not so sure what the story is with him remember everybody said the same thing about eric mangini he's always the cautionary tale for me eric mangini Never get too high on a coach after one year because you never know when it could all sort of implode. That could certainly happen with McDaniel. And even your old friend Brian Dable, everybody's been kissing his feet here in New York with the Giants, and everybody's talking about how he's the next great coach, maybe, but also maybe things start to fall apart, people figure him out, and it doesn't work out as well. With the Patriots, you know exactly what you have with Bill Belichick. And with the Bills, I did not know that apparently there's some talk about McDermott being on the hot seat. If that's true, that's stupid, because he'd yes. be unemployed for two few seconds. I don't know what Bills fans are expecting if they want to kick Sean McDermott out the door, but that, of course, is another discussion for another day. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers, though, and how he changes things here. Now, Drew, I was up there with you guys when the Jets played the Bills last year in Buffalo. And I'm hoping to get up there again this year and take part of the tailgate with Iman doing the cooking this year. Last year, you guys did a good job, but I've heard so many great things about how good of a cook Emon is. I can't wait to check that out and hopefully see the Jets come in and at least be competitive, if not win, against the Buffalo Bills. But last year, if you remember, the Bills and the Jets were pretty competitive for a large portion of that game. Then Mike White went out. Then he tried to come back with the rib injury. Then Joe Flacco came in. It was a mess. Joe Flacco
2: came in off the bench and immediately fumbled the football on his first play.
3: <laughs> right, which is what I'm saying. If the Jets had competent quarterback play that day, they might have been able to stay in it toward the end with the Bills or maybe even have mm-hmm. a chance to win. They obviously beat the Bills at home with Zach Wilson. So that tells you something. Now, that's not me saying that the Jets are better than the Bills. This is me Using what happened last year with the Jets and Bills to pivot into the Aaron Rodgers discussion, which is to say if the Jets had had Aaron Rodgers, some of these games might have gone very differently. Now, we know Aaron Rodgers had an off year last year. He is about to hit 40. How much of that is because of the thumb injury and new personnel? How much of that is just him slipping at that age? We'll find that out, but there's no question that even if Rodgers is slipping, he's 1,000% better than anything the Jets had last year. No disrespect to Mike White. Aaron Rodgers,
2: I, I'm i of the camp where I go, listen, I just don't trust aging quarterbacks because I I saw what I, – I, and I think that Aaron Rodgers, has, oh, he's better than Big Ben, right? Big Ben did not age gracefully, and I feel like what you could be seeing is a little bit of what – you're starting to see some things in the finer metrics, and maybe they don't mean anything, right? But we talked about it in a podcast on our show a couple, probably about a month ago, where if you look at footwork, elusiveness, athleticism, like it's a league that's constantly getting younger. And at the same time, the problem is when you stick around to the age of 40, it starts to manifest itself in different ways. And one of the things that you see is when you look at what happens to Aaron Rodgers behind the line that can't keep him clean. He is the least athletic of the four quarterbacks in the AFC East right now. Even though Mac Jones, like if you watch that guy run, it's painful. It's painful. Like it's he's almost as bad. Like remember when Danny Dimes had that awkward run that should have been a touchdown and then he tripped over his own two feet. Like he did the toddler I've been running for too far and just toppled over. Mac Jones is that kind of an athlete to me. And at the same time, he's still a little bit more athletic than Aaron Rodgers. And what you see is that his pressure, like as pressures turn into sacks or throwaways, his ratio of that is higher than any quarterback who's going to play in the AFC East this year. I think some of that's just he no longer has some of the escapability he used to. And at the same time, he's still better than anything you guys had last year. (laughs) I say to myself, If you have a line that you don't know, no, no, can keep him clean, then you will see some things, right? You're going to see some manifestation of that. There's going to be some plays where he ends up just probably just eating a play and clocking it, throwing it into the dirt. and You go, why? You know, boo, that's a broken play. It's like, no, it's not a broken play. He recognizes it because I watched him do it in the game when we played Green Bay here in Buffalo last year. There was games, plays where he goes, I'm old enough to know that I'm not taking that hit. I'm not taking a sack. I'll just throw this one away, live to fight another day. And sometimes it kills whole drives. But he knows that at the age of 40-whatever, he's not taking any more big hits. Like, you watch Josh Allen take shots, standing in the pocket, trying to save plays. Aaron Rodgers is not going to give you that. At the same time, the bar, in order to be a better quarterback than what you guys had last year, is incredibly low. I mean, I'm looking at this. I didn't realize it was this bad. Chris Streveler had the highest uh, completion percentage (laughs) the quarterbacks and you had what nobody had over 1700 yards you had three quarterbacks that all threw for over a thousand which is a problem because if you have three guys seeing that much playing time it tells you just how bad things went in that regard rogers is going to give you a lot more in regards to what he can do in the intermediate area of the field that no one here was able to give you like that alone changes the dynamic of what your offense is
3: What I was getting to before is the Jets had the two competitive games against the Bills. They won the one at home and they hung in there for most of the game in the second game in Buffalo. And then you look at what happened with the Patriots. That first game was an absolute disgrace on all counts. The Jets absolutely could have had that game at any time. I still believe that if they just would have put Mike White in for that final drive, it would have been enough for them to get a field goal and win the game. You look at what happened in those two Dolphins games. They won the first one in a blowout. The second one, it was almost like neither team wanted to win. The Dolphins ended up winning it, but it was a mess either way. Now, here's where this gets tricky. While you said that Rodgers is obviously much better than anything the Jets had last year, the question is, how much does he change things for the Jets this year? Because, yeah, you could look at it in the way that I just said. The Jets went toe-to-toe with the Bills, the Patriots and the Dolphins last year. Now they add Aaron Rodgers, and so that means that they should be highly competitive and maybe even win a bunch of games against those teams. But those teams made changes too. And on top of that, look at what the Jets did in the offseason. Not a ton of big moves. They got rid of Elijah Moore, brought in Alan Lazard. Is that an upgrade? Maybe, maybe not. Depends how you look at it. Then you look at the other wide receiver spot. Braxton Berrios is gone. Michael Hardman's here. Okay, I suppose that's about a push. Maybe Hardman is more explosive and all that. On the offensive line, not many changes, but of course, Mekhi Becton comes back, so you hope that he stays healthy. Adrian Amos comes in at safety after they brought in Chuck Clark and he gets hurt. So there weren't a ton of big moves here. Al Woods comes in on the defensive line with Quentin Jefferson, but they also lost Nathan Shepard and Sheldon Rankins. So it really seems like the Jets, at least from my perspective, we're banking on getting Rodgers and him fixing everything. Well, it's the Aaron fix it scenario. Do you see it that way from your perspective? And on top of whether or not you see it that way, do you think that it will change things enough to make the Jets a real contender for a championship? Because right now, Drew, as we speak, they are sixth in the odds to win the Super Bowl, behind the Bills, of course, and several other teams like the Chiefs, the Eagles, the 49ers. But do you think it really puts them in that position? And also, do you think they did enough around Aaron Rodgers on top of everything we talked about with Rodgers?
2: I feel like the simplest way, and it's kind of hack radio, but I'm going to do it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. If I'm an outsider and I'm lo- and I'm judging the New York Jets, there's the good, there's the bad, and there's the ugly. The good is something I just hit on. Alan Lazard doesn't seem like the type of player who should move the needle. And really, realistically, I don't think he will. But one thing that's going to improve for you guys, and this is where football games get won and lost, is this idea that in the intermediate, right, like the 10 to 20-yard window of passing, you have a dominant player in Garrett Wilson. You've got a guy, I don't know if he'll stick with the team for the entire offseason, we'll see. We'll have to see what happens, but your wide receiver group, when you look at it, you've got Garrett Wilson, you get Mecole Hardman in there, you, you have a Corey Davis, who traditionally outside receiver... Alan Lazard comes in. Here's what I see, though. Alan Lazard, for all the things he isn't, does pretty well, even with mediocre quarterback play, in that 10 to 19-yard window. Josh Allen crucifies teams in this window, and it's a big reason why our offense moves as smoothly as it does. In that window... He does a lot and he's got great talent, but he's also become a very good passer, whether it's to tight ends, whether it's to the wide receivers, because they like to run a lot of deep ins, in breaking routes. They don't run a ton of slants, but they do that stuff because they know it's a natural mismatch with Allen's arm talent, his understanding of where like spacing, where linebackers are and just our receivers ability to get separation in those windows. The Jets haven't had that. Like all of your quarterbacks sucked in this regard, really. I mean, it was bad last year. With these tools and players who can succeed in that specific area, your offense, from a passing perspective, you don't have to be the team that airs it out and is trying to go yard, you know, at least, you know, once a possession. Instead, you can be the team that operates a smooth offense, six, seven, eight plays down the field by capitalizing on that window. And so in that way, I think the Jets set themselves up really nicely. I think Ellen Lazard will help that. Then when you go out and you look at what else you guys have on the roster, right? Like Tyler Conklin, I I feel like you guys wanted more from his signing. I think you're going to see more from the tight end room as a whole. With Aaron Rodgers being here, and again, this intermediate window is going to become very important to the Jets' success. Now, that all falls on the shoulders of Aaron Rodgers. So, to your point, it is kind of like Aaron Rodgers is the rock that you guys have built your church on. (laughs) That's it. Now, if I want to look at some other things that I like about the Jets' makeup, your defense is gross. And... I I, I will say the one unfortunate thing, because I really like that Chuck Clark trade for you guys, because I thought he was a safety who had stuff, you know, gas left in the tank. So obviously it's unfortunate that you lose him for the season before camp even gets rolling. Adrian Amos is not a, Um, (laughs) he's not a replacement. I don't. We talked about some of the finer metrics on our show a week or two ago when we were analyzing the Jets roster. And I kind of laughed at the fact that Adrian Amos by himself gave up as many touchdowns in coverage as your whole safety group did last year. That's not great. And so you're going to try to replace a guy who you clearly, the coaches had a plan for that player. And Adrian Amos kind of becomes the break glass in case of emergency and hopefully nothing else goes wrong. And so. But there are some great things about your defense. I mean, that defensive line is so impressive. I, I really like what you guys did there. I, I really like some of the pieces you have. Um, L. Woods, that addition, I think the same in the same way, in fact, I think it was like two days apart, where the Bills announced, or maybe even the same day, where the Bills announced the signing of Puna Ford, and you guys announced the signing of L. Woods. It's like both of our GMs had these guys on the hook, said, hey, if we don't land another one tech in the draft, screw it we we know a guy we can call who's gonna be good come in and give us quality snaps so i i love the depth that you guys have been able to cultivate on the defensive line that alone is gonna give teams fits it's gonna create a very tough defense for teams to play against i think that the linebacker position cj mosley's getting a little long in the tooth but he's not terrible I just And then your cornerback group, obviously, I don't have to tell you guys (laughs) how great Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, who is like one of these rare free agency home runs for the Jets. I really love the makeup of your defense. And I think that in an offense that's probably going to be a little more ball control than fans want with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, who they anticipate airing it out, you're going to play a little bit of ball control offense, but you're going to have a savvy quarterback running it. You're going to attack the intermediate area when you have to pass and when the running game can't get going. And at the same time, you're going to have a defense that forces takeaways and at least, if nothing else, forces a lot of punts. And that's a recipe that can win you a lot of games in the NFL. A lot of football games. It's the reason that the 49ers, they'll have a down year every now and again. But, Scott, how often are the 49ers still in and at the end of every season, no matter who their quarterback is? And you go, what the hell is happening here? Brock Purdy? What is this? It's because they have a system. It's a system and it works. And I feel like the Jets have can kind of be that with the pieces you have on the roster, if coached properly and if everything comes together for you guys, can have that same type of success. Now, this is where things break for me a little bit though because we're talking about, the, if you want to talk about the bad, what I don't like about your roster is the makeup of that offensive line. I feel like to run last year, Aaron Rodgers didn't get great pass protection and his numbers suffered for it. I think green Bay's offensive line got a little bit old. They had to put in some young faces. I think the game that they played against us, it was a rookie center who was in the game. They, they had some issues up there. And so that, you could see games where Aaron Rodgers doesn't look like future, you know, the, the first ballot Hall of Fame player you expect him to, but some of that's his own frustration with young wide receivers, and also a line that wasn't keeping him quite as clean as he's used to. I look at what the Jets have done here, and I say to myself, Dwayne Brown, nice piece, right? But he's also aging. At right tackle, you guys are really putting a lot of eggs in the Mackay becton basket, and that scares me. And I say that as a fan of a football team who I think is really rolling the dice, trusting Spencer Brown for another year and not bringing in any serious competition to be a quality right tackle. I feel like the Jets made the same mistake where when it came to building their roster, they said, what warts can we live with? And they somehow decided that, well, we'll give this project that hasn't worked. that has been up and down at right tackle. We'll give it another shot. Hopefully it turns out differently this time like I almost feel like what's that from uh Arrested Development that scene where the, the I can't think of the character's name he's got the mustache and the stupid glasses and he's sitting on the bed and he goes this he goes this plan will never work he goes people convince themselves that it will and it never does you as a GM have to kind of pick your poison you there is no perfect roster in the NFL the idea is is we're going to put together the best roster we can we're going to get together as a staff and figure out what warts are we willing to accept because we think that some of the other talent can elevate those areas like Josh Allen in the offensive line. They've decided they don't need pro bowl tackles because they say, well, our quarterback is big and physical and he runs away and he's elusive. So we don't need great pass protection. So we're not going to pay a premium for it. And inst- and like stuff like that, because you think you can paper over it either with other talent or with scheme. The thing that I don't know about you guys is what again this falls under this you know the bad. That's a great thought if you know what Nate Hackett is bringing to the table as an offensive coordinator in this system. The problem is, is that he hasn't like he has one season as a play caller and that just blew up in his face over there in in Denver he's coming in here because of his sy- sy- what do you want to call it? synergy that's God I forgot the word synergy with Aaron Rodgers and that's great that he has that relationship already because it's going to allow them to find their stride from a play calling perspective a little quicker the problem is is I don't know that Hackett is the coach that has the type of savvy you're looking for as far as let's put together a game plan that can take advantage of the fact that we do have some question marks in our offensive line. I think the idea is we will lean heavily on a rushing attack, which is kind of what the Broncos were built to do last year. Let's protect Russell Wilson. Let's run the ball. We've got two great running backs and unfortunately they were hit by a rash of injuries. You guys are entering the season with I don't know where Brees Hall's recovery schedule is when he's on the field. He's an electric running back. He's one of the best in football right now. Without him, I don't know that this group, you know, rookie in a band condo who I really liked as a prospect, Michael Carter, who's kind of a smaller back uh, pass catcher, Zonovan Knight, who was kind of up and down. He had some flash games and then he also had kind of, but you, you know what happens to these guys. He's a college free agent, comes in, booms in his first game and then slowly kind of peters out as the season wears on. You question, does that group have the juice early on while you're still waiting for a 100 percent Brees Hall to step back on the football field? Do they have what it takes to kind of keep that ball control idea going like within an offensive line that is an unknown quantity right now? And who knows what injuries might take place between now and the time, you know, week one, two, three, four rolled around. I just worry that the 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 philosophy that this offense is trying to put in place doesn't have the pieces to support it out of the gate. You guys are one of the most snake bitten teams. The Bills finally got a taste of it last year. Like last year was one of the most injury. I, I think it was the most injuries in a single season for Sean McDermott as a head coach. But like that's the thing that's been happening to the Jets since forever. Since I, I want to say like the turn of the century. You guys have just had season after season. Now, maybe not. I'd say since like 20, we'll call it 2015. I think your team has just been injury riddled and it does you no favors when you don't have depth at key positions. So knowing that that's something you can't bank on and then knowing that you don't know what's going to happen with the play caller and the quarterback and how he's going to mesh with these other pieces, I feel like. On paper, this could go well. And then you can also make a case for the fact that this thing's a taking time bomb. And if a few things, a few key things, let's say Brees Hall comes back, and like a lot of players who suffer ACL tears, it takes him, because like there's players like uh, Trey White said it, it takes you like a full year to get back after something like that. You can get on the field, but you're not the same player. If Brees Hall doesn't come back and he isn't the Brees Hall we saw before, already this plan that the jets have kind you like that you can see them kind of sketching out here with the way they've built this roster there's already cracks in the foundation of that thing and then all it takes is a few key injuries and you could be staring at something that ends really poorly
3: and so with all of that said drew how do you think this is going to shake out for the jets this year what's your prediction how do you think the division is going to go Will the Bills win it again? Do the Jets have a real chance to dethrone them? Maybe the Dolphins get in there. Or the Patriots surprise some people. And as far as the Jets go, what do you think is the most likely scenario? And what do you think the ceiling is for them this year, realistically? Well, I'll say this.
2: I think that not making the playoffs is a failure. I mean, I look at the way and I I'm, I'm say that as somebody who, again, I, I just aired my thoughts. I think that this thing could come off the rails. I look at your schedule by nature of the fact that you're playing the fourth place schedule because you finished fourth place in the AFC East. Um, it's, uh, w- when you look at what you guys start with, right? Week one, Buffalo Bills. That's a big test, but you're at home. So obviously that stadium's going to be electric. From there, you get the Cowboys. So you have a rough slate in your <coughs> first two to three, four games. Like It's not a great start. But if you guys can get to the bye, that's where this thing gets a little bit easier, and you have a really nice finish. I mean, Atlanta, the Texans, Miami, then the Commanders, the Browns, and then at the Patriots. Right there is a string of six games that I don't think that there's a single one of them that should be considered unwinnable with the makeup of your defense and hopefully what you guys have cultivated over the course of a season on offense. So down the stretch here, there's enough games in there that I think you can win to make a really strong case for at least a playoff spot, minimum. What? What I think is going to have to happen for you guys, though, is you guys are going to have to get off the blocks really quickly. And I say this from a philosophical standpoint. You guys know you've talked to Tyler Dunn. Tyler Dunn's a friend of mine. He worked at personal friend of mine, worked in the Green Bay media for a long time. And what he pointed out was that Aaron Rodgers was coddled by the local media. He The team very much insulated Aaron Rodgers from a lot of things to the point where some of like their questions as a PR core like the PR core for the team would vet your questions before you were allowed to ask them because they'd hear him and go, oh, Aaron's not going to answer that. He's not going to get the same treatment, I don't think, in New York if things go poorly. I think if things are going well, everyone's going to get along. He's going to love it. You guys are going to love each other. If you guys come into this season and you beat the Bills, but then you lose to the Cowboys on the road and then you lose to the Chiefs and then the game against the Eagles doesn't go well and you're a 2-3 and football team going into the bye, I think maybe things still smooth out because like I said, your schedule is a winnable one down the stretch, but I also look at how the pressure in that building might ramp up. I don't know how he responds to that. And I think he's shown over time that he can become, and this isn't me, you know, because I know there's a lot of clickbaity crap written like this, but I think he has the potential. He's illustrated it. He can become combustible in those types of situations and I don't know what that does for a coaching staff that's relatively young for a group of players who's maybe not like the I don't know what their chemistry level is but the the culture of that team isn't as strong as you'd want it to be to have a quarterback who comes in takes the reins everybody falls for him and then he throws his hands up and says screw it I'm having a bad time with this and now we're all gonna have a bad time I I think that you guys are a playoff team for sure I, I really think it would be a it would take some crazy stuff to happen for you not to make the playoffs in terms of winning the division I still I struggle with that because Buffalo would have to fall really far I think our roster is in I mean we lost some pieces but I think we're also better philosophically with some of the changes we've made from a coaching perspective and I think that Miami is enough that they're gonna we're all good. It's gonna be a war of attrition. And realistically, you guys getting Aaron Rodgers guaranteed that no one from the AFC East is getting the one seed. So if we're slugging it out for two, three, and then wild card spots, I think I see you guys as a wild card, and then maybe you get hot in the postseason, which has happened. And it it can happen to any team. You know, the playoffs is a whole different season unto itself. I really have high hopes for you guys this year. I just Again, it all comes down to me for that. It's that how you guys start. If you guys don't start well and you're a one and four team at the bye, I don't know what happens down the stretch. And like that has me nervous because I like you, Scott. It has me nervous on your
3: behalf. I appreciate that. And as I always say to you, we can all join hands together and vow our vengeance collectively against the New England Patriots who have caused most of us the largest amount of pain of any team in the AFC East. But I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. Very real chance that three teams come out of the AFC East. Remember it happened in the NFC East last year and nobody expected that this year, the AFC East seems to be much more loaded. Although there is the possibility drew and you joked about this when the Jets got Aaron Rodgers, that everybody in the AFC East cannibalizes each other and and the chiefs are the ones that sort of sit back and laugh at everything.
2: Yep. No, that's absolutely correct. And so in that way, like I just, it's going to be fun to watch. It's, it feels like we've become the AFC North for the first time in a long time where you finally have a lot of quality football being played. So now everyone else's success is going to come at the cut You know, it, it, it's going to be
3: due to attrition to somebody else. Fingers crossed. I'm looking forward to some really good games this year. Drew gear the host of the rock pile report. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about all this with me from a bill's perspective, really appreciate it for everybody that wants to check out the rock pile report. You should know by now where to find drew and Chris, but in case there are people that don't go ahead and let them know. And then of course, social media and all of that as well. Sure.
2: Guys. Well, our podcast is the rock pile report. You can find us on Twitter at rock pile report. I guess we're on threads now because my producer kind of went behind my back and started an Instagram for us. I hate social media. I think it's the worst. (laughs) I I really despise it. So when I woke up and people were tweeting about, oh, I'm following the rock pile report on threads. like Who the hell did that? Um, <laughs> it's, but it's at the Rockpile Report. If you go to Instagram and on the Threads platform, our podcast is everywhere. You can get your podcasts. You know, every week, we do an AFC East roundup segment during the regular season where Scott comes on, El Far uh, We have different, uh, just a group of Patriots contributors who come in, and you know we get to point and laugh at as they kind of circle the drain up there in new england it's a lot of fun and i think it's a way to interact with fans of other fan bases because obviously you guys don't want a buffalo you guys have no interest in a buffalo bill centric podcast but when it's everybody talking about what happened to them that week it's a lot of fun and so i encourage all of your listeners to check that out obviously i love your support i'm happy to you know one hand wash the other i love coming on your shows and doing this stuff with you scott and i really appreciate you having me
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I will say one thing. I do think that it would be in Jets fans' best interest to occasionally listen to a Bills-centric podcast because not only is it good to know what's going on with your own team, you want to know what's going on with the other teams as well. So knowing your enemy, very important when it comes to football. Make sure you check out everything that Drew and Chris are doing over at the Rock Pod Report. Check out everything we've got going on over at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. Some awesome All-22 reviews up there so watch our videos and subscribe if you haven't already youtube.com slash play like a jet visit our store that's teepublic.com. that's tee we've got the john franklin myers Quentin williams bless you thank you shirt the play like a jet logo shirt caps mugs hoodies it's all there Teepublic.com. that's t-e-e-public.com and be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on itunes if you haven't done that already easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing it doesn't take you much time doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out so if you could go ahead and do that for us we would be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcast and content you know where to go that's play like a jet digital and play like jet.com
0: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper
1: 18 plus.